Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Amen. So we're beginning our series, A Heart for His House, today, and we'll be uh, doing this over the next few weeks. I want to thank our, our media team for putting this together. Can we give them a big hand? They just work so hard and do great, great work. I'm grateful to God. And uh, even grateful for Alex. So uh, I'm just picking on you today, man. I love you. He was out of the country. That's where my wife is. She's in Paris right now. How is it that she's at the, in the most romantic city in the world without me? I don't know. I, but apparently she thinks it's romantic to be there without me. So uh, I said, yeah, this is real romantic. I'm here with three teenage kids. Not, I love you guys. I do. I do. Uh, she uh, been planning on this trip for about a year now. Kayla Griffith, who has lived with us for, I don't even want to imagine how long she lived with it, two and a half years or something like that. She was on a missions trip uh, uh, over there and then over to uh, Laos, and she's finishing up her missions trip. So they planned on about a year ago that Heather would come up at the end of her missions trip, and they would travel around and see the sights. And so her, Heather and my mother-in-law, come to think of it, I'm kind of glad I'm not on that trip. <laughs> and my, my mother-in-law's friend all went together, and so they were in, they've been, they were in Ireland, London, they're in Paris now, tomorrow they'll go to Barcelona, Rome, and Venice. So anyway, she's having a great time. Uh, I'm not, so be praying for me and uh, our family. She'll be, she'll be back uh, on August the 10th, so I've been missing her a lot. So, uh, But you can follow her on Instagram, and she's putting up some cool pictures of stuff she's seeing. Uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to First Chronicles chapter 22. I'm going to throw this one at you. I tried it in the early service. I don't know how well it went, but this, uh, there was a Mexican magician, and uh, <clears throat> he told the audience, I'm going to disappear on the count of three. So he says, uno, dos, and then he disappeared without a trace. Ah, that's a better response. Okay. Got time for one more? All right. So uh, General Custer was marching his army uh, into uh, Little Bighorn, and uh, in the distance they could hear the pounding of the Indian war drums. And one of his soldiers says, General, uh, that does not sound good. We're with an Indian popped up and said, well, he's not our regular drummer. <laughs> okay. First Chronicles chapter 22, let's look at verse 5. <laughs> <Not bad. laughs> oh, I got an offering. All right. Thank you. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Day-Day. I'm... One-tenth of my way to nom-noms. Okay. Now David said, watch this. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be, say must be, must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Verse 6, then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. 
And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind, or better translated, it was in my heart. Later on, as Solomon is talking about his father, he said, it was in my dad's heart, my father's heart to build a house. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word is L-E-B-A-B, Lebab or Lebab, wherever you're from, however you want to translate that. But it means the heart. It means the inner man. It was in my innermost being to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. This is beautiful, isn't it? I mean, what a marvelous thing that this was in David's heart to build a house for his God. Because after all, the Lord had caused uh, prosperity and, and peace on every side of King David at this time. And he's sitting up in his beautiful palace and he says, how is it that I'm sitting in this house of, of cedar, this beautiful place, and God dwells in a tent? I want to build God a house. And, and what house I build for him, it must be, must be exceedingly magnificent. It must be glorious. It must be famous in all the countries of the world. I love that David had this heart to do this for God. Matter of fact, God loved it too. I want to take you to another place now and see another king by the name of Asa. And we look over at 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 14, and it says this, But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. His heart was loyal to the Lord or totally committed to the Lord all his days. Now look at the next verse here. He also brought into the house of the Lord things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. We see a pattern here with these two kings, don't we? Both of these men who loved God, God even called David a man after my own heart. Isn't it interesting that both of these men who were both loyal and who are after God's heart also had a love for the house of God? And they showed their love for God by their love for his house. The heart for the Lord was reflected in their heart for his house. A heart for God translates into a heart for the house of God. Now, let's go over to 1 Kings chapter 8. And this is Solomon speaking, verse 17. He says, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. So God looks into David's heart. He hears what David says, and it's only God that can see the heart. And he sees his heart, and God is pleased with what he sees in David's heart. He's pleased that David wants to do something magnificent for him. He's pleased that David's not, not, not happy with this tent dwelling for God. He, he's pleased with David's heart to build a house that is famous and glorious in all the earth. And then we'll go one chapter over, 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 1. Watch this. Verse 1 says this, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do. Verse 2, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. Verse 3, and the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. I love this response from God. So Solomon fulfills the desire of his father David. 
He gets the house built, and it is magnificent. It is glorious. Even the queen of Sheba came because she heard of his wisdom and she heard of this house and she came and she was blown away at how all the operations of the house of, the house of God went. And, and, and so now God sees the finished product and he says, I'm in this deal. I'm in this deal. I'm consecrating this. My eyes are on this and my heart is in this place perpetually. I like the way the message translation reads. It says, my name is stamped on it forever. My eyes are on it and my heart in it always. It's glorious. God's eyes are on and God's heart is in his house. So if you want to be where God's heart is, then my family, let me encourage you to be in his house, which you are today. Hallelujah. You came to church on a good Sunday. If you want to serve the Lord and to fulfill his purpose in your life, then be where his heart is. Be where his eyes are. God's eternal purpose is known in his house. I want to say this today too because there's, there's been some, there's a lot of people with different opinions about the Lord, their relationship with the Lord and the church. But you by, by seeing this scripture, especially these two kings, we see something key that all of us need to take in our own lives, and that is you cannot separate a heart for God from a heart for his house. You know, there's some funky ideas out there uh, that, that some people think that their church or their sanctuary is out in nature, out, on, out in the mountains or out in the woods. Well, who couldn't sense God there? I mean, doesn't take a real strong Christian to see God in all of his creation. That's not the church. It's an expression of him. But the, the scriptures are very specific about what the church is. You know, I've been in church all my life, all my life, and I'm happy about it. It's possible to be in church and be happy at the same time. It's glorious. And I've been to a lot of churches, and I'm grateful for all the experiences I've had in the church. Most, well, almost all of the experiences I've had in church, most of them have been very good. And I've seen a lot of changes through the years. You know, when I was a kid, we sang out of books. And, and our song service went something like this. I'm grateful to God that we have evolved. <laughs> Amen. Because I can remember a time when we had this song leader, song leader, stand up there and he'd say, Somebody holler a number out at me. Number 89. All right. And everybody start flipping their pages. And then we'd sing, you know. As I travel through this pilgrim land, there is a friend who walks with me. All right. Something like that. Jesus, hold my hand. And then it's a, all right, who else has got a song out there? Number 74. All right. 74. When we all get to heaven, you know, we sing all these. I love those songs, but I am grateful. I am grateful to see the changes because I, well, I'm just a little bit rock and roll. A lot rock and roll. And an electric, screaming electric guitar would not have done well in my church in southern Oklahoma. It's kind of interesting. I always thought it was kind of interesting because they were not ashamed at all to pray in tongues and pray as loud as they could, but they didn't like a loud guitar. Right? They both go hand in hand. Rock and roll and tongues are first cousins. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but, you know, good, well-meaning people, 
good, well-meaning Christian people. You know, you can be well-meaning and good and uh, uh, all those kinds of things and, and still, still be wrong. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Amen. Um, I, think, I think everything taken to extreme, like communism, you know, I think those are good, sincere people. They're just terribly wrong. I think they're well-meaning. Uh, just wrong in, the, in their, oh, they're just wrong. Okay. I got to get off that. All right. Um, like, because I hear believers say things like this through the years. I love God. I just, I just don't like church. I, I love God. I just don't see the importance of being in church. But I just don't think that that can happen. You're in church. You should be amening me. Because when we see that somebody's heart is really for God, then they have a a real heart for the house. Hey, church isn't a perfect place. I understand that. I mean, when you all came in here, it became very unperfect. Right? It was perfect until everybody got here. <laughs> so, and, and, but, but it's a glorious thing. It's God's design. It's God's church. It's His body in the earth. And God has chosen to use us, to take us and use us for His glory. The Scripture says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, vessels of clay, jars of clay. And yet we've got this treasure. God loves to live in us. He loves this church. Amen. Now, I understand that there are exceptions from time to time. My family, I'm not saying that you should be. I, no, I, oh, I shouldn't say that. Because I, sh, I, okay. You should be here all the time, you know, when we have services. I understand there are exceptions. But if, if we're not careful, we can lose sight of our real purpose. You know, we allow things to, to get in the way, to creep in, you know, a lot of people, events, and all kinds of things. And, and they begin to crowd out this time for God you know, and, 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 and squeeze it out of our lives. And, and, and what's really important be, begins to fade out of our lives. And we've made room for other things. I want you to jump over to Mark chapter 4. Is, is there, is there, tell me you still love me today. Okay, I love you too. Mark chapter 4, verse 15. Look, at this is Jesus giving, he gave this parable about this man who sowed seeds, and, and now he's explaining it to his disciples, all right? Uh, and these are the ones sown... Uh, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. He said the seed is the word. The sower sows the word. All right. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. All right. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. That's, that's pretty good, huh? They immediately receive the word with gladness. And I think, I think most people, this ought to be all of our attitudes, to, to receive the word with gladness. They're happy to be here in church. They're, they're excited about it. But something happens when they leave out of here. All right? Something happens. And we find out about a person and their, their level of enthusiasm or the depth of their joy by what they come into after leaving church. We come into circumstances and things that are contrary, things that don't go right, you know. I mean, maybe somebody jumped in front of you on the way out of the parking lot and all of your joy went flying out the door, right? You're not so happy anymore. Huh? 
So that church, many times, I think God, I don't pastor a church like this, but many times people come to church because they need to. They come to church because they feel obligated to do it. They go to church because that's what grandma did, and that's what mom did, and that's what I'm doing, and that's what my kids are going to do. And so it's, 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 it's about that much commitment, right? It's kind of the minimal, minimal reason for coming to church, just to check it off. All right, I did it, God. Give me a good week this week. I showed up, right? So it, it's just kind of that minimal kind of commitment, and, and, and there, there's not much else to it. But then when they get out into the world, the things that are in church don't really affect them. The things that they heard, the word that was preached, don't really affect them because, because they don't really have deep root. While they're here, it's good. You hear what I'm saying today? All right, but out there, when trouble comes, the scripture says, watch, look at verse 17. This is what happens to them. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time, about as long as the service lasts. All right? Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Immediately they stumble. Immediately. They were immediately receiving the word with gladness, and now they're immediately stumbling. There's a problem. There's a problem. All right, they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. And this says persecution and tribulation arises for the words for the word's sake. Okay, so you see what Jesus just taught us about tribulation and persecution, because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here as God is. Because there's a lot of erroneous teaching out there and, and belief that God is orchestrating all the good and all the bad that's going on in the world, and it's under his divine and sovereign. Uh, rule and all that, and so we really can't help what goes on because God is in control. And so then the world, we, if you believe that kind of stuff, then you just learn to kind of accept everything as, well, it must have been God's plan after all. You don't really, we don't really understand the ways of God. They're mysterious. They're past finding out. <laughs> this just religious garbage coming out of people's mouths. Not, not, no scripture based to that. Just, just Stuff they learned from their teachers. Not from the scriptures, though. Jesus said these things arise for the word's sake. In other words, just like this, the prior verse said, Satan comes immediately to steal the word, so do tribulations, and so do persecutions. So why would that be designed by God? He'd be kind of fighting himself, and the kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. By the way, when does the devil get credit for anything if God's behind everything? Yeah. Amen. Jesus said, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give life and that more abundantly. Yeah. So if it's life in abundance, that's coming from me. If it's stealing from you, killing you, destroying you, that's from the devil. Yeah. Plain and clear. All right? So that you'll learn not to accept things that are destroying you. You'll learn not to accept calamity. You'll learn not to accept tribulation as some kind of trial from God trying to teach you a lesson. Now, God's lesson comes to us by his word. He sows the word. The word is what comes into our hearts and teaches us that we have enough trouble from this world, the flesh, and the devil. All right? We need somebody on our side, and there's good news. God is on your side through it all so that you can overcome everything, every time, every place. Amen. He's good, and he only does good. Amen. So Jesus said these things are coming for the word's sake. And, and the reason they're coming for the word's sake is because the word is the most powerful thing that you can get into your ears, into your heart, and into your mouth. The scripture says that it is 
living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit. The Word has the ability to cut, to make a, a division between the soul and the spirit. That's pretty sharp. And of the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Word of God is powerful, and it, and it affects every dimension of man, spirit, soul, and body. But if we don't believe this Word, if we don't let this Word take root in our hearts, and we get distracted by things going on around, then it can't settle in. And then we can't really live its effect. We can't really experience its power in our lives. And we just find ourselves frustrated all the time. And in this realm of just questioning and doubting and no assurance... But God has so much assurance for us. He has so much for us to experience if we'll take his word into our hearts and guard that word. And the greatest way that you can guard it is first hear it, then believe it, and then bear fruit. And the way you bear fruit is to speak the word. That's what the scripture says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. So you bear the fruit of the word of God through your confession, through what's coming out of your mouth. You say what God says. All right? We can either talk about all the darkness, all the sin, and all this stuff out here that's bothering us, or we can talk about the solution. Or we can talk about the God who is more than enough, the God who came to save us, the God who loves us, the God who forgives us, the God who brings grace, the God who gives us peace. Hmm? And you get that, your heart full of that, and your mouth full of it. Well, guess what? You won't be full of it anymore. God is. So Jesus is teaching us something really powerful. There's all kinds of things vying for that word, trying to come and steal it, Satan being one of them. Also, just the system of this world. So we got to be vigilant with his word and let it do what it, what it needs to do in our hearts. Amen. Because I, I can't stand up here and give you any other answer than the word of God. I mean, I could stand up here and philosophize with, with you, uh, and, but that, that's not going to change your life. You know, the word has the power to change our lives. It's the gospel that changes our lives. And the gospel is a message. As Jeremiah so beautifully said it this morning, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that message. And the word is only as fruitful in your life as you allow it to be. Since we see that from what the scripture says that the word of God is living and powerful. Would you say that there is anything more powerful than the Word of God? Hmm? There is one thing. One thing. And Jesus told, told us. And he looked at the Pharisees and said, your traditions cause the Word to have no effect in your life. The traditions of men Stop the word and its effect. Hmm. So we can hear the word and we maybe even can, can quote it from time to time. But we can get so caught up in religious acts and duties that we're not really experiencing the beauty Amen. and the power of that word. Amen. Just going through motions when there's so much life in his word for us. And most of the time, the Word comes to you in a setting like this. Well, you're sitting in church. We're sitting with other believers. And so this is the time when you're really, I'm up here and I'm just scattering seed. 
I'm just giving, I'm sowing the word. And, and you're the one who determines what kind of effect that word's going to have in your life. You know, the seed is not the only thing that determines the fruit. It's the seed in the soil. And those two things working together determine the produce of the fruit. All right? So the word has effect. And when you believe that, Jesus said, those that are sown on good ground, they hear the word, accept it, and they bear fruit. I love that. They hear it, accept it, and bear fruit. Glorious. So when you walk out of here today, just understand that you're going to face resistance to that word. It's out there. It's just out there. Uh, my dad used to always say this, you either are in trouble right now, or you just came out of it, or you're just going into it. <laughs> so it's on you and I to guard this word. When the heart begins to fade for the house of God, it's a clear sign that other things have taken its place. Maybe, maybe this will help you. Just a, just a little bit of good sound advice that I learned years ago. Don't decide to come to church on Sunday. Because the good chance of you staying in bed, a very good chance of you not coming if you wait till Sunday morning to decide. I decided when I was, you know, when Heather and I, we committed ourselves to the house of the Lord. We've been married almost 21 years and we committed ourselves to the house of the Lord. And we decided we'd be in church. To, well, she's not here. Hey, she didn't live up to her end of the deal. <laughs> decided, I decided anyway. <laughs> I'd be in church today. I don't know what the heck she was doing. But 21 years ago, we committed ourselves. Are you hearing me? We committed that we would be in church on Sunday. Not on that day of. Hmm? So just, just, just say, just make a... A, a non-negotiable commitment that I'm in the house on Sunday and Wednesdays. Where's my Wednesday crowd? Woo! You Bible thumpers, you. You get doubly blessed. You get to heaven faster, right, Jeremiah? He told the early service that if, that if you give, uh, you get to heaven faster. That was beautiful. I don't know if it's true at all, but I like the sound of it. I used to have a, pa I used to have a pastor listen, that would tell people they, they were going to hell if they didn't tithe. We had like a lot of tithers in that church. I like the message, but it's just not altogether true, my friend. <laughs> well, but listen to this. Psalm chapter 42. Are you still with me? I know what time it is. You've been in church an hour and 17 minutes. You sit in a the movie theater longer than that. All right. Ah. These things, listen with David. This is the amplified version. These things I earnestly remember and pour myself out within me how I went slowly before the throng and led them in procession to the house of God like a bandmaster before his band, timing the steps to the sound of music and the chant of song with the voice of shouting and praise, a throng-keeping festival. Isn't that beautiful? David said, I used to go and we would go to the house slowly, purposefully, in song and in dance with the festive throng. I love this. And you know when David remembered this? When he was in distress. 
Right before this verse, you see that David is crying out to the Lord in distress, and all of a sudden, he remembers the good thing in his life, and it was the house of God. And his desire begins to go to the house. Oh, I remember when I would go to the house. I remember going to the house with the people and the songs and the dance and the celebration. That's what I want again. Amen. So as he remembers the house, I'm grateful for the church for those times of distress in my life, for those, those times when, when I was weak, those times when I was down, and then to walk into this place and see your beautiful faces. All the churches I've been at in my life, this is my favorite church ever. I've been some part of some really good churches, but I have to say, you guys rock my world. I mean, I'm blessed, blessed to be your pastor. Blessed. You make this fun. You make this enjoyable. And I'm just grateful to God for you. Amen. I got a Chicago song going on in my head. What was that song? You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. Something like that. All right. But our mission is a a ministry of reconciliation here. We bring people together and we bring people to God. I want to go to one last scripture. 1 Timothy chapter, uh, what is it? 3. 1 Timothy chapter. It's interesting. God said that my eyes are on this house. He's telling Solomon, and my heart is in it forever. It's in it perpetually. But you know what? That temple got destroyed. That temple got destroyed in 586 B.C. Uh, the Babylonians siege, laid siege of Jerusalem, and I mean obliterated it. And then uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, you can read their accounts where they begin to rebuild and restore the temple. And then Herod, the one who sought to kill Jesus, actually expanded that and actually kind of made it a city within a city. And, uh, and one day the disciples were walking by it with Jesus, and they were, they were in awe of its, of its beauty and, its, and uh, uh, its architecture and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus said... Uh, don't marvel over this. I tell you that this place is coming down and not one stone will be left on another till all. Well, guess what happened? 70 years, uh, in 70 AD, uh, Titus raided Jerusalem uh, and, and obliterated it and burned that temple, burned the temple and, and burned it so hot that the gold that was in the temple began to run down into the cracks of the walls, and he ordered his men to dismantle each stone off of the other so that they could retrieve the gold that was in the cracks. And Jesus' prophecy literally became true as there was not one stone left on another. Did God not see this coming when he said that my eyes are on this and my, my heart is in it always? My, it's not there. Matter of fact, on that very site, where the temple was, today there is a, an Islamic mosque. And I can say with great confidence, God's eyes are not on it and his heart is not in that. So what happened? What happened? Something greater. God was speaking of something greater than just that, that little sight there, even though that was part of it. But there was a big plan that God would unfold in the ages to come. As, as Paul said, it was a mystery that was hidden throughout the ages. Hallelujah. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, we see it. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. Verse 15. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Ready? Read this. Which is the church of the living God the pillar and ground of truth. You know what God was talking about? He was talking about you. His eyes are on you and his heart is with you always. You are 
the object of his affection. You are the apple of your father's eyes. I love that. He is, he is totally giddy about you. Jesus said, I will build my church. He's still building it today. And he's called us right along his side to build it with him. But his eyes are on you. His eyes are on this gathering today. And his heart is in this gathering here today. I want to be where his eyes are. I want to be where God's heart is. Amen? I think it's so cool that Miss Lou is here today, all the family, because when I was putting this message together earlier this week, I was taken to the night that Cletus went to heaven. And we were all at the hospital, and, and it was one of the most glorious things I'd ever seen in, in a person's death. And I thought, this is how I would like to go to heaven. If you could go to heaven, I would say, pray that you could go to heaven like Cletus did. And that is all his family gathered around him and everybody telling stories and we were laughing and then somebody would break out in a song and we'd sing a hymn. I mean, it was, it was a marvel. It, it was like, there was like no reason to be afraid, no reason to cry. We were even talking about heaven. I mean, he was just on the threshold, just about to step over there into that eternal glory. And Miss Lou stepped outside. I don't remember why. I don't know if she got a phone call or something, but she stepped outside the, the room for a second. And one of the family members was talking to Cletus, and he's listening to them as best as he could. Yes. Uh, are we good now? We're back. Po All right, podcast listeners. We just had a little technical difficulty, so welcome back. So she goes out, and Miss Lou goes out of the room, and somebody's talking to him, and then the door opens, and Miss Lou walks in. And I'm standing at the foot of Cletus's bed, and I see him completely forget about the conversation that's going on in front of him. And he looks over at Miss Lou. And his, his, his gaze locks on her. And she starts walking back over to this chair that she was sitting in over here. And I'm watching him, and he is not taking his eyes off this lady for one second. He just watches her. And everything else in the room, nothing else mattered. No other person mattered. Nothing. He's just watching her all the way till she sits down. And it's like he snaps out of her spell. And whoever was talking to him realized quickly that they had lost his attention because the queen had stepped into the room. And I was amazed at that. This man, on his last day on the earth, 60 plus years married to Miss Lou, and he could not get over her. And he told me, and he told all of us guys, I remember him pointing his finger, he said, you treat her like the queen that she is, your wife, and she will always treat you like a king. I never forgot that. I don't know if I've lived up to it, but I certainly haven't forgotten it. And it was, it was just a marvelous time. And then he went, to, he went to sleep and woke up in heaven. 92, is that how old he was? 91 years old. 91 years old. And I think Miss Lou's going to outlive him. She's got a lot of life to live still. Well, that was one of the... Oh, and as all that's happening, I started thinking about when I saw this scripture how God is looking at us. That's just a glimpse of Christ and his church. 
the scripture says that, that he loved the church so much that he gave himself for her. He gave himself. He gave up his life for the church. Adam had this desire. What was it? Adam, Adam was alone. God walked with him every day, and yet God saw that Adam was lonely. How could it be lonely? He had God. Except Adam needed somebody like him, somebody that could meet his needs here. No other, no, no creature on the earth could satisfy that need, and not even God could meet that need. He could not walk on the earth with Adam like Adam needed somebody like him. God made Adam like him, but then Adam needed somebody like him. It's an interesting story that God saw that he was lonely, even though he was with him every day. And so then God put Adam in that deep sleep, and he opened up his side, and out he took a rib, and he fashioned and formed. He took Adam's desire, and he, and he constructed that desire, and he stood that desire right up in front of him. And when Adam woke up, buddy, did he ever wake up. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, God. Wow. Yeah. And I love that because God knew what was on his mind immediately. You know why? Because he said, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> and Adam again said, yeah. Did you hear that, Eve? God gave me permission. Amen. No, it was glorious. He fell into a deep, he was in a deep sleep and God did that. And then when Jesus Christ called the last Adam, breathed his last on that cross and went into a deep sleep. The scripture says that a soldier took a spear and plunged it into his side, opening up his side and blood and water flowed out. Those things, those two things are what are present at birth. And at that moment, the church, his bride came forth and she was established in Acts, when they all gathered together and the power of God came and the Holy Spirit fell and they all began to speak with other tongues and the rest is history. And now here we are carrying on that legacy. It's beautiful. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for my, my family here. Thank you, Lord, for our special guests today, those who are here with us, Lord, uh, uh, just checking us out. I, I pray, God, that today that they would be extremely blessed by what has happened here today, that they would be built and strengthened and encouraged and renewed in hope. For just a moment, if you're here today, and uh, I don't know everybody in this room, but if you're here today and you're distant from the Lord, you, you're distant from God, you haven't, you haven't given yourself to Him, and you sense that void and that distance, today all you have to do, it's real simple. The Lord loves you. Let me first say that He loves you. He's not angry. He's not disappointed. He loves you like you'll never know. But he offers an invitation to all who would come. Come and, and partake of the life that he came to give you. Come and partake of a new and glorious relationship with him. And know and have an assurance that though this life is, doesn't have much assurance, yet he gives us assurance that of eternal life because this life is here and gone but forever is forever and he offers a place for you with him and it starts by believing that Christ died for your sins 
believe, accepting it for you, that all your failures, all the things that you've done, the wrong, the evil, the bad, the perverted, that Christ died for all of that. And he was buried in a tomb and God raised him from the dead. And if you'll accept that for yourself, if you'll believe the gospel, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says you'll be saved. So I want to encourage you today, believe on him. Believe on Jesus. Believe that he did it for you. Accept him and him only. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There are a lot of religions out there in the world. Men trying to build roads, make paths to God. And there's a common phrase that said, all roads lead to God. I believe that. Straight to the judgment seat of God. They all do. Sure enough. But there's only one road that leads to eternal life. Everybody goes to the judge, except those who go through Jesus Christ. That road is not a road that any man could build. That was a road that God built to men. Hallelujah. He knew that we would never be able to accomplish that. So Jesus said, I'll take you to the Father. I'll take the judgment on myself so that you won't be judged. I'll take you to the Father. Glory to God. So you can believe that today. Receive Jesus into your heart. And you can do that simply by just conf by saying this, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I believe that you died for my sins and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. It's simple. It's by faith, by God's grace. You can't earn it, never will. Can't do enough good stuff? Nope. You all have to, you have to fully trust in Jesus and him alone. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, I thank you for your blessing on your people. I pray that this word today will take deep root in their hearts, God, so that they can experience and will experience your life in their lives, your power in their lives, the demonstration of your word. Because we, like Abraham, are persuaded that you who promised are faithful to perform that promise. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.